origins of Mother's Day in the United States can be traced back to the middle part of the 1800s, perhaps as part of an anti-war movement led by Julia Ward Howe. A way to remind people that this cruel war being waged was taking away children from their mothers. And not only did the war create destruction and death, it left thousands of mothers in anguish, mourning the loss of a child. Others looked to Anna Jarvis, whose own mother had worked tirelessly during the Civil War to aid soldiers on both sides of the conflict. Anne Jarvis, known as Mother Jarvis, once taught a Sunday school lesson asking that a day be set aside for the work and efforts of women, since so many days recognized only the efforts of men. This lesson left a mark on her young daughter who started a letter-writing campaign, where she asked powerful men to intercede and help create a day to honor the work and the sacrifice of mothers. By the early part of the 20th century, Mothers' Sunday services were held on the second Sunday in May at churches in West Virginia. It was in 1912 that the governor of West Virginia proclaimed a Mother's Day, and Pennsylvania's governor followed suit the next year. A resolution went before Congress, and President Woodrow Wilson would sign it into law. A day to honor mothers for their nurturing and care not just of their own family and children, but of the community, and that their works, their kindness, should be recognized and celebrated. In 1982, not 70 years after Mother's Day became a recognized holiday in the United States, a great tragedy befell two mothers, struck two families with a horror they would never forget. It was on Mother's Day, 1982, that two teenage boys were murdered. It wasn't enough that they were killed. Their deaths were horrific, exceptionally brutal. The boys fought for their lives. They tried to escape the fire that engulfed the home they were trapped in. They tried to get away, to get away from the heat and the smoke and the flames that licked under the doorframe and seared their skin. But there was no escape, and these boys would not be saved. Come with me to springtime, 1982, when David Cole and Timothy Fowler are locked inside of a burning house and meet their end in a burst of smoke, heat, and flame. In the spring of 1982, Sandra Hall was worried about her father-in-law. He was living in West Virginia, and he'd been ill. She and her husband, Buddy, planned a quick trip down to West Virginia to see him, to check on him, and perhaps lend a hand. You see, Sandra had just buried her own mother a few days earlier. She didn't want Buddy fretting about his dad's situation, so they would just go down and pay him a visit and make sure he was okay. That day, Saturday, May 8th, she woke up early and told her son David of their plans, that she and David's stepfather were headed to Huntington, West Virginia. It was about 300 miles or a five-hour drive, assuming they made good time. They wouldn't be gone for very long. The pair would return in a day or two. Sandra gave David a few dollars, told him to be home by nine each night, and that if he wanted to sleep over at his friend Timothy Fowler's house while they were gone, it was okay with her. Timothy Fowler lived with his family just a mile or so down the road. David and Tim had been close friends for many years, and as teenagers, the pair were inseparable. They both enjoyed tinkering with cars, listening to music, and spending time with family. 
When Sandra and her husband left that morning, they were grieving the loss of her mother, reflecting on what a sad time it is for their family, and how the summer would give them a chance to heal and recover. As they loaded the car for the drive south, Sandra and Buddy had no idea that the worst day of their lives was just getting started. When David rolled out of bed, he called Tim and told him the good news. His folks were gone, and the two would have the farm to themselves. While David lived in an old farmhouse with just his mom and stepdad, Tim resided with his parents and his kid sister. Now, Tim had older siblings. He was the youngest boy of his parents' six children. But his older brothers and sisters were grown and out of the house when our story takes place. It's just Tim and his sister, 10-year-old Kim, at home. And while Tim was seven years older than his little sister, the two were close and enjoyed a good relationship. David didn't have brothers and sisters at home, but he didn't mind when Tim's little sister, Kim, tagged along. That day, Sunday, May 9th, was Mother's Day. And while David was spending it without his mom, the Fowler family had plans for a casual get-together that evening, dinner and a bonfire in the backyard. David joined the Fowler family for dinner. They were enjoying the visit at the Fowler home, and it was after 10 o'clock when David realized he should get back to the house check the animals, and be there if his mom called. It was Tim's older brother, Philip, who drove the two 17-year-olds back to the farmhouse up the road from the Fowler residence. Before we go any further, I need to tell you a little bit about Deerfield, the location of today's story. It's a tiny farming community in the south-central part of Michigan. It's closest to Adrian, which is a college town 13 miles to the west, and Sylvania, Ohio, is 14 miles south. The town is about a one-mile square, with a population of roughly 1,000 people. The population of Deerfield hasn't changed much in the almost 40 years since the murders took place. A 1983 news story in the Blissfield Advance newspaper said that Deerfield High School's graduating class that year was made up of 22 students. So, as I said, this is a small community. The next town over, Petersburg, was a similarly small community, with a population of 1,100. The Deerfield and Petersburg high schools maintained a friendly rivalry. And I mention Petersburg because it's thought that boys from Petersburg High School could have had a hand in what happens next. Because Tim and David were at the farmhouse by themselves, we can't say exactly what transpired. We don't know who started the fire that would kill both boys. A fire that reduced the farmhouse to smoldering wreckage. We don't know how David's dog, a little mutt named Josephine, escaped the flames and found herself rescued by firefighters who tended to her and administered oxygen. Here is what we do know. Sometime quite late on the evening of May 8, 1982, Tim and David found themselves locked in the windowless bathroom on the first floor of the farmhouse. And I want to make this clear, because it's a little bit confusing. When you think of a locked bathroom door, you probably picture a door with a lock on the inside, where you enter the bathroom, you close the door, and then you press a button or turn a lever on the back of the door to secure yourself in the bathroom so you have privacy. David Cole's home was an old farmhouse, and it was so old that when it was built, there was not a bathroom. There was only an outhouse. And at some point, probably in the 1950s or 60s, the house was fully plumbed and a bathroom was built, 
As a cost-saving measure, instead of tacking a room onto the house or building a new room within the house, the owners used what might have once been a covered porch and what was the back entrance to the home. This became the entrance to the only bathroom, which contained a sink, toilet, and a fiberglass tub shower enclosure. And we're going to hear from Tim's kid sister, Kim, in a few minutes, and she will explain the layout further. Deliciousness delivered with Green Chef. It's easy to eat well and discover new recipes each week that you will love to cook. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company. They make cooking easy with options that work around your lifestyle. Meal plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, lean and clean, pescatarian, Mediterranean, heart smart, keto, gluten-free, and omnivore. Enjoy clean ingredients you can trust, seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Green Chef arrived at my door and included ingredients that were pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. It was easy to create a meal of Greek chicken with herb tahini sauce, something my daughter and I both really enjoyed. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, visit greenchef.us slash already gone. That's greenchef.us slash already gone. Somehow the boys were locked inside the bathroom. The door locked from the hallway side and they couldn't exit the windowless room when the fire started. Someone went to the barn and got a gas can and then poured gasoline on the floor of the house. The gas can would be found the next morning as warm spring sunlight illuminated a gruesome scene. With the lock on the outside of the bathroom door, someone locked David and Tim in that tiny windowless room, and then a person or persons started the fire that led to the blaze that killed both boys. Meanwhile, just down the road at the Fowler home, there's a bonfire in the yard, and while it's grown late, well after 11 o'clock at this point, the Fowlers are lingering around the fire and enjoying company and conversation. It's a warm spring evening, and they notice a glow in the sky, and the glow becomes brighter, and Tim's brother decides that he's going to check it out. Just then, the town's fire siren goes off. The noise pierces the air, and Philip Fowler makes a horrifying realization. The glow in the sky? It's the coal farmhouse, the place he left his brother and his brother's friend just an hour or so earlier. By the time the fire squad responds, the house is fully engulfed in flames. The two-story farmhouse, which stood along the P Highway for decades, is a total loss. Firefighters find the bodies of two boys in the bathroom. A news story from the time reports that David Cole's body was found in the bathtub. The fiberglass tub melted around his remains. Timothy Fowler was found near the door to the bathroom. He'd been trying to remove the hinges from the door to free them from their prison. There are few details available on the condition of their bodies. An April 2003 story in The Guardian states that when someone dies in a fire, the pain is the greatest in the beginning, as the fire burns the nerves. Once the nerves are burned away, it no longer hurts, but the lungs are damaged by the heat and soot, leading to death by suffocation. It's a slow process. Painful, miserable, and cruel. Someone allowed these boys to die this way, in a fiery blaze, trapped in a small windowless room. 
The murders of David Cole and Timothy Fowler happened 37 years ago this month. To Kim Fowler, Timothy Fowler's little sister, it's as if it happened yesterday, the murder of her friend, her companion, her big brother. And today we are talking about the murder of your brother and his friend David back in the early 1980s. So you were living down the road from the Cole family and David was home alone for a few days while his family was out of town. Right. And since both the boys were 17 and they're nearly adult, people were comfortable with them being home by themselves. Well, my my parents knew that David's parents were out of town. And the, the plan was for David to stay at our house. Well, they were working on a vehicle they had down there. And they'd been working on it all day. And they hadn't finished yet. And had come back to my family's house and asked my parents if Tim could just stay down there that night. And at first my dad said no, and he meant it. You know, he was like, no, there's no parents down there. I would feel much better if you both stayed here. Of course, teenagers, like they do, they were begging and begging and begging. Right. And he did finally give in and allowed them to go stay down there together by themselves. Because it sounds like... David Cole's parents were hoping that he would stay with your family while they were gone and not Correct. be alone in the house. Correct. And uh, the Cole house was sort of a big farmhouse, and they had a, a barn out back, and they had the, the project car that the boys were tinkering with along with some other things. Correct. So it was after dinner, they returned to the house, and then the assumption is that a person or persons came to the home and interrupted the boys. Correct. What happened at that point in time is pretty unclear. It's all speculation because nobody was there to witness whatever went down. Um, there was some witnesses who seen one of the neighbors seen some boys outside the house watching it burn. I'm not sure. The, the police have never corroborated that, I guess. They never, you know, said that that was the case. So I'm not sure how true that really was, but that's what we were told that the neighbor who called the fire department seen some boys outside the home watching it burn. And about what time did the fire start? Could they estimate that? I think it was like around 10, 10, 10.30. Okay. So, so relatively late at night and with it being May, it was dark. Right. Because my family, I was I was only 10 at the time. So I have I have memories of it. Believe me, I have very vivid memories of oh, it. I bet. But there is, you know, like chunks of time that are missing for me for that day. I do know that there was a bonfire at my family's house. My my mom and my dad and my brother and his wife were all out sitting around a bonfire. And there was, and since my brother's friend's home was not too far away from my family home, when the flames, you know, you could see the, the light in the sky and you could see the, you know, that there was flames and smoke. And my mom kind of said that, you know, that looks like it's over by Cole's house. And my dad was like, no, Barb, it's not by Cole's house. Don't worry about it. And the more she sat there, you know, she became pretty adamant. Like, that's, that looks like it's down there. And so my brother agreed. He's like, okay, to make you feel better, I'll drive down there. And that's when the fire truck started going by. And then my brother, my older brother, got in the car and drove down there, and the house was already fully engulfed. And he tried to get into the house to go see if he could save them, but 
the fire department and the police that were there would not let him into the home. That is heartbreaking. How frustrating it must have been for him to be in that position. Yes, very. I'm certain that when your brother arrived, he was hopeful that, you know, maybe the boys were not in the house, that the that they had gone elsewhere or they were in the barn, but I think it was determined relatively quickly that they were in the house. Right. When my brother got down there and was not allowed in the house, he started calling family members and he actually drove to my sister's house to see if they were there, hoping that they weren't in the home. You know, we try, he tried every place he could think of to see if they were there. And yeah, it wasn't very long. I'm not exactly sure how long, but it wasn't too long before they did say that there was two of them in the house. And they were found in mm-hmm. a first floor bathroom? Yes. Since it was an old farmhouse, there was no indoor plumbing for many years. And the family decided to do a few renovations and add a bathroom onto the home. And so what they did is they added the bathroom on to a door that leads outside. So the door swung out to go outside and they just put the bathroom right on that entry entranceway. So the door swung into the bathroom and there was still a lock on the the outside of the bathroom because it was an original outside door. There was still a deadbolt lock there. So if I were to picture like the back door of my house, that's what the door of the bathroom looked like, complete with a lock on it. And so whoever came to the house, it was very easy to lock them in there. That's correct. And the bathroom did not have a window. Right. Right. I understand that the boys, in an attempt to save themselves, turned the faucets on in the bathroom and tried yes. to, to to fill the space with water. Yes. David David was found in the bathtub with the water. You know, he, he did try to get in the bathtub and fill the bathtub up. My brother, Tim, was found behind the door. There was pins. You know how the doors have pins. They believe he was trying to remove the pins in an attempt to get out because one of the pins was found half halfway off that door. You know, so, so he was trying to take the door off its hinges when he was right. overcome by smoke. Exactly. He was a fighter. He was. He didn't want to give up. Now, there is not a lot of press out there on the case. Unfortunately, there are a couple of stories out on MLive, and I've seen some old articles from the time of the murders. But one of the things that stuck out to me is the idea that this was somehow related to a girl. I've seen that posited in news articles from both, you know, back then and then more contemporary stories. And then there was also talk of it possibly being drug related. There's many different speculations that I've heard. The girlfriend was my brother's girlfriend. Her name was Lisa, and she she was my brother's girlfriend at the time, but um, there was some issues with one of the possible suspects between her and him and my brother. Like, like she was with my brother, but she liked the other guy. And then there was the drug speculation, which I think the one you're talking about would be the one that there was my other brother. I have three brothers. Tim was my youngest brother. And my middle brother supposedly fronted some at- hits of acid from a drug dealer, a, a local drug dealer in the area. And 
he owed him money for this. And so there was speculation that it could have been over that drug debt as far as either um, mistaken identity and hurting the wrong brother or the fact that, you know, if you're a drug dealer and you're going to hurt somebody, you don't want to hurt the person who owes you the money because you still want to get your money. So you hurt someone close to them. So there's always, you know, there was also that thrown out there. Was there ever talk that it could somehow be related to David since it was at his house and not necessarily Um, specific to your brother? David and Tim were like, they were best friends, so they were always together. So whatever trouble they would calm themselves in, it was usually them together. They weren't troublemakers. They, They had issues with the boys from the next town over, which is Petersburg. My brother passed away in Deerfield in the next town over Petersburg. There was a group of boys that they'd had issues with. And there was some um, aggression and, you know, uh, there was rumor of uh, one of them stabbed David at one point in time. So there could be some issues with David, but it was never, the likelihood was more so on my side of the family, the reasons why they were murdered. These boys from the next town over, did they all go to the same high school or was it literally like different schools, different towns? Different schools, different towns, yes. My two, my brother and his best friend went to Deerfield and the other boys went to Petersburg. Before we move forward, I want to say police have never named a suspect or a person of interest in this case. So what we are talking about is some theories that we're batting around, but law enforcement hasn't said, oh, we think it's this person or that person, correct? Correct. I've had many talks with several detectives that have been the lead on the case, um, where it's been passed along to other detectives as other detectives retire, so it gets passed down. And I've gone through three of them. And, and they all have their own theories, and they all have their own suspects. When you have a fire of that magnitude, it tends to destroy any physical evidence and anything that may have been, you know, if there was a a dirt driveway or tire tracks, the first responders would have demolished any of that evidence when they arrived to put out the fire. Correct. Not knowing that they were responding to a homicide, not just a structure fire. Exactly. Yeah. Which is super frustrating. It is. One of my biggest frustrations the older I've gotten and the more talking I've done with all these detectives, I've learned that the, the initial investigation was not done very well. I've learned that there wasn't a whole lot of time spent on this case. It, it was in the, in the news for a hot second and then it was gone. And after it was gone, it was never really pressed. There was another murder in the county, I believe, shortly after my brother and his friend. And that took precedence over them because it was it was newer and 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 I believe they believed that that one was way more solvable than our case. So our case kind of just kind of got pushed to the side and it never really got the attention that it deserved in my opinion. I think you're correct. I'm based on my research into the case looking at old news, you know, looking for old news stories on it. There's not a whole lot. I mean, there might be two or three articles from the time. And then in the last decade, there may have been two or three stories and that's it. And it's a double homicide in an area. Again, I believe that I read that prior to this murder, there hadn't been a murder in that area in 50 years. 
Right. Right. I mean, it was shocking. It was shocking to everyone. Cause it was, I mean, it's your typical small town. There's one blinking light in this town and everybody knows everybody for something of that magnitude to happen in such a small town. And it did. It shocked many, many people. And for it to not get any more press than it did, it really kind of stinks. You know, I, I seriously think the investigation at the very beginning from the state marshal to our local county detective, I do not believe they did their job to their best of their ability, I should say. Who was the uh, investigating agency at the time? And the Lenawee County Sheriff, I believe, had the lead. Okay. And is the case still under their jurisdiction? Yes. I thought I read something about the Michigan State Police also being involved, or was that... Yes, that is also because the road that my parents live on is County Line Highway. My brother and his friend were murdered in Lenawee County, but just not even a block down the road is Monroe County. So being that the boys who passed away were in Lenawee County and all the suspects are from Monroe County, they had to have Michigan State Police involved so they could cross those county lines and have jurisdiction over anyone that they spoke to. And that makes sense. There's a protocol for doing that sort of investigative when you're entering somebody else's territory. But this case happened within a mile of the county line and you have victims that live in two counties and suspects that live in a different county, it does become a jurisdictional issue, and that is complex. Yes. What do you wish people knew about your brother? Oh, that's tough. They were just kids. They were 17. I think David was actually still 16. They were just kids. They were teenage boys. They... Sure, they skip school or cruise town or whatever. As far as I know, I was 10 years old when my brother passed away. And he was my my best friend because I was always tagging along. I can remember asking to tag along with them that night, actually, because I was always with them. I was with him and David. We'd go down to David's house all the time. Um, I can remember one time he asked me, he he, he wanted to skip school. So he had me skip school with him, you know, and we were, there was a big, you know, seven years difference there, but still he was, he was my big brother. He was the one that I grew up with because he was the closest in age to me. If I could tell anyone, it would be that he was, he was my best friend, you know, he was my, he was my brother. Letting his kid sister tag along everywhere they went, took me to the movies and everything. I was with him a lot. It must have been very, very hard for you. Yeah, I was the youngest of six, and Tim was the fifth, so he was the next closest to me. And my other brothers and sisters, Timmy was the closest to me, so he was seven years, so they all went up from there. So they were all much older. Most of them weren't, didn't even live at home at the time. From what I can remember, it was just me and Tim who lived at home still, and the rest of them were already moved out. You have a Facebook page for the case? I do. There's always been the um, the thought that somebody knows something. Somebody has been told something. Somebody has heard something. There's at least five suspects. You know they have shared bits and pieces with people. And, you know, it just takes one person to come forward and to give them any information. And you, you never know what could open it up. And 
So I wanted to do this to kind of give, not only remember Tim and David, but to have some kind of place where people could talk about it and, you know, and, and, and never forget. I don't want anyone to ever forget this happened. I don't, they deserve, they deserve for it to be solved. They deserve for it to be solved and you deserve some peace. Closure. Yeah. The name of the, or the Facebook page that I started is called Justice for Tim Fowler and David Cole. And then if people have information about the case, who should they contact? They should contact the Lenawee County Sheriff's Office. They can either contact them directly or they can call the Crime Stoppers. And that is completely anonymous. They and won't both ask any questions. They just, you know, listen to your tip and then move on from there. And I'll put both of those numbers in the show notes. And again, I'll post them on our webpage so that those are real easy for listeners to access. One of the things that I like to remind people is that even if you've spoken to law enforcement previously about this case, you should call. If yeah. you have information, you should call. You can either call the detective directly at the sheriff's department or use the Crime Stoppers line. But if you know something about this case, it's been almost 40 years, you should call. Yes, absolutely. There are new ears listening to you now. The detectives way back then are different detectives now. And any anything that they can hear directly from someone puts a new note in the file. And any new notes in the file are always good because it keeps the file on their desk. Yes, it keeps it active. And we want this to be active so that it can be resolved. This is in, in any of the articles that you've read, but it just so happens that he passed away on Mother's Day, right? There's a couple of holidays around my family that are just not not celebrated like they used to be. One would be Mother's Day. Obviously, we still pamper our mother as much as possible, but there's always this looming sadness. Tim's birthday was Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's always a little rough around that time as well. You can reach the Lenaway County Sheriff's Department at 517-266-6161 or make an anonymous tip to Crime Stoppers via text at 274-637. That's text 274-637. Make sure that your tip starts with the word Lenaway. If you lived in the area when the crime occurred and have information, please contact the Detective Bureau. Even if you spoke with them back when the murders happened, they would like to hear from you. Mr. and Mrs. Fowler, Tim's parents, still live in the area, just down the road from where their youngest boy was cruelly murdered on Mother's Day. They are much older now, but they are still waiting and still hopeful. Already Gone is a true crime podcast focused on cases from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Episodes are released on the 1st and 15th of each month. You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Already Gone Pod. Please support the show by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to check out this week's sponsor, Green Chef. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, visit greenchef.us slash alreadygone. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe. <laughs>